You are listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Missouri. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about the church, you can reach us at www.bethelassembly.info. We are in a series um, simply called Origin. Now let me give a little disclaimer um, of the difference between Sunday morning and Sunday night. I, I have people ask me all the time, what is the difference? What do you do differently on Sunday evening than you do Sunday morning? Sunday morning oftentimes is much more topical. We're going to cover a, a series idea. For example, right now we're in a series called My Family Circus. We're looking at all the components and all the aspects of a family. What does it mean to be married? What does it mean to have kids? What does it mean to have teenagers? And by the way, did not Pastor Ryan do an amazing job this morning? Man, after the first service, I walked down to him, and he's right down here at the end of the steps, and I said, man, you knocked it out of the park. I just did a tremendous job, so he, I'm just so, so proud of what God is doing in and through Pastor Ryan, a tremendous, tremendous asset um, to this congregation. So Sunday mornings are more topical. When we finish up the family series, we're going to do a short series on worship We're going to talk about what does it mean to be a a true worshiper. The Bible says that he's looking for those that will worship him in spirit and truth. What does that look like in 2018? You're going to hear from Pastor Andy, our creative arts pastor, during that series. You're going to hear from our lead worshiper. What does it mean to worship in church? And then we finish that, we're going to go over a series about who are we, a series that we do about every two and a half years. Uh, If you've been with us very long, maybe you're going to hear parts of that again. But we're going to talk about our core values. We're going to talk about our mission. We're going to talk about our vision. Why do we repeat that every two and a half years or so? Because we all need to be reminded of what we stand for. Yes? So that's Sunday mornings, very topical based. And and how do we live in this crazy society? And and how do we apply God's word to the chaos and the insanity of our lives? But on Sunday nights, what we try to do is more of a Bible study. We take a particular book of the Bible, be that James or Philippians. And Philippians is one of my favorites. Or maybe it's a series all the way through the Bible, which we did several years ago. The book of Revelation, which we did several months ago. But right now, God challenged me to do a study on the book of Genesis. And quite honestly, here's how that conversation went. God and I are speaking. Let me take you into that moment in my office. We're, we're sitting there, and, and I'm flipping through the Bible. I'm saying, God, where do you want us to go? And I'm, I'm looking at different things online and, and trying to get some ideas and, and trying to process through. And suddenly God says, oh, do a study on Genesis. And I went, are you serious? You see, I'd never done a study on the book of Genesis before. I mean, Genesis is just the good stories. It's the ones that we share in Sunday school class. You remember last week we had the, the flannel graph. And by the way, wasn't that a cool flannel graph? That was my grandma's 60-year-old flannel graph. She got that thing many, 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 many years ago when she was doing children evangelism. My mom now has it. My mom is a, a children's pastor in her church she actually uses that um, in her church. And I called her and I was like, Mom, I know you're coming up to hang out with the kids this week while we're gone. So can you bring your flannel graph? And she's like, all right, I'll bring the flannel graph. So I'd forgotten how cool it was. I was, I was imagining the paper flannel graphs that you popped out of the quarterly. Yeah, yeah. No, this was like the real legit stuff. I mean, it was almost like Noah hopping off and walking around. Cool, cool stuff. 
So we're looking at this book of Genesis, and I, and I say, God, what do you want us to do? And he said, man, there, there's all sorts of applicable things to today's life in the book of Genesis. And can I just tell you, we're in part 10, and every single week I've been blown away with what God brings out of the Scripture. Has anybody else been challenged or, or pushed forward in this study on the book of Genesis? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, tonight we're going to continue in our study on the book of Genesis that we're simply calling Origin, a study on the book of Genesis. We're going to take the time to process through this great book. I don't have a timeline. I don't know how long it's going to last. Oftentimes I do. Oftentimes I have an idea of how long we'll be in a, in a study or in a book. But this particular study, I simply want to take it week by week and, and see where God leads us. Tonight, though, I want to move beyond what transpired after the flood. If you weren't here last Sunday night, let me encourage you, go back to social media, go back to Facebook, go watch the service, um, grab a hold of the podcast, listen to last, night's mes- last week's message as we talked about the flood. There are some things that happen in the flood that oftentimes we overlook. We think it rained, it poured for 40 daisies, daisies, they built the ark out of gopher, barky, barky, and everything was okay. It was just kind of a, a beautiful rain outside. But let me just tell you, everything broke loose. The Bible says water gushed out of the ground. One commentary that I was sharing last week said that you had all sorts of uh, tsunamis and you had earthquakes and you had all of this going on that was occur- that was causing all of this to happen as water was erupting from the ground and water was pouring from the sky. In 12 and a half months, they hung out on this floating vessel. There wasn't even a, an opportunity for steering. The word ark literally means vessel made to float. So tonight, I want to I move past the waters. I want to move past the, the torrential rain. I want to move past all the chaos of all of the animals and the, all that came along with the animals. And I want to move into what happened. See, I don't think that there was just this massive flood and a a rebirth of humanity out of the family of Noah and that nothing else was there for us to glean from this event. I believe that in any struggle, listen carefully, I believe that in any struggle that we face in life, there is a lesson that can be developed and implemented into our lives. I don't think we go through struggles just for the fun of it. I don't think we go through opposition and difficulty just for God to have something to do. But I believe that every struggle that we go through, I believe that every flood that enters into our life is there for a reason, and we can learn something through it. Can I hear an amen? Our text tonight, Genesis chapter 8, verse 15 through 17, says this. Then God said to Noah, leave the boats. All of you. Now I can hear the moment of eruption, of of celebration. It's been 12 and a half months of, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Can we get out yet? Are we there yet? Are we there? Could you imagine taking a trip and being in the vehicle for 12 and a half months? I drove an hour yesterday to a wedding. And still, out of the back seat, I had, are we there yet? How much further? Are we to Preston yet? I'm like, it's an hour. 
12 and a half months. But finally, the voice of God calls out to Noah and he says, leave the boats, all of you, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. I bet they were all glad that he named them off. Okay, you can go, you can go, but you get to stay. No, every one of them got to exit the boats. Release the animals, the birds, the livestock, the small animals that scurry along the ground so they can be fruitful and multiply throughout the earth. Tonight, I want to dig in a bit more into the life of this man that found favor in the eyes of God. We took the time to look at the flood and what happened last week. Tonight, I want to move past the flood. After all, it was Noah that God said was the only blameless one left on earth. So now we have this new beginning with Noah and his family. Let's look at what transpired following this great flood. Imagine with me, rain everywhere, waters gushing out of the ground, complete destruction of everything and everyone on earth. Twelve and a half months have transpired. Now the water has dissipated, and the instruction is given for Noah and everyone else to leave the ship. Release the animals. Repopulate the earth. Now imagine with me what the ground and the surrounding must have looked like in that moment. Twelve and a half months of complete coverage of water, the ground breaking open, earthquakes occurring, tsunamis happening, rain falling. Twelve and a half months, and the water finally dissipates. Could you imagine the mess as they exited the boat? There, it wasn't this beautiful, gorgeous garden in front of them. But God says, leave the boats. So tonight, very quickly, I want to look at three observations made after the flood. The first observation has to be brought out of a question. See, sometimes in order for us to really understand something, we've got to ask a question for us to get there. So the question of the first observation would be this. What brings about the blessing? See, I think it's vitally important that we understand what brings about the blessing rather than just grabbing a hold of the blessing. Did you know that you appreciate something a whole lot more when you know what it took to get to that place? Yes. When you got skin in the game. So what brings about the blessing? Genesis chapter 9 verse 1 says this, Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Now I'm not going to take the time to, tonight to explain to you what be fruitful and multiply means. If you don't understand that, talk to me and we'll have a, a private conversation a little later. But suffice it to say, God blessed them and gave them instructions of what to do. But the word blessing, that's what I want to look at tonight. The word blessing is the same word that is used when God blessed the seventh day. The word blessing here, when it says that God blessed Noah, is the same word that is used 
when God blessed Abraham. It's also the same word that is used to refer to the blessing that is given to Job after the great trial that Job went through. Do you remember that story? He lost everything. His his wife even looked at him and said, Job, what are you doing? Curse God and die. His helpmate, his encourager, his companion, the one that should be with him in good and bad, through better for worse, through richer for poorer, the one that should have been there with him through everything, says, dude, what are you thinking? Just curse God, give up and die. But yet the same word, blessed. And God blessed Job. And God blessed Abraham. And God blessed the seventh day. And God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. So what is it that brings about this blessing? What is it that brought Noah and his sons to this place? Now remember, Noah is the only one, prior to the flood, was the only one on earth that caught the eye of God, the only one that was blameless, And at this point, he brings his sons along. God said, place them on the ark with their wives as well. And at this point, God blesses them and gives them instruction. What is it that brought them to the place of the blessing? For Noah, I believe it was many of the points that we covered last Sunday night. Let me remind you very quickly of what they were. Number one, we must make our walk with God Visual. I challenged you last Sunday night. Don't allow your walk with God to be an invisible walk. Don't allow your walk with God to be a, a Sunday morning routine alone. Don't allow your walk to, uh, with God to be confined to these four walls. But allow your walk to God to be a visual walk with Him Monday through Saturday, including Sunday, every day of the week, 24-7. Number two. Follow God even when you don't understand. I don't know about you, but that takes a lot of pressure off. The Bible says don't lean on your own understanding. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Because our human mindset is so limited. The the things that we can wrap our mind around, the things that we can comprehend are so limited. And I'm afraid that oftentimes we place God in a box confined to our human ability. This is what God is able to do. This is as far as he can go. He can't go any farther than this. Oh really? Remove your mindset. Remove your limited thinking and watch what God can do. Are you willing to trust God? Are you willing to follow God even when you don't understand? The third was this. The third thing that I think brought Noah into this moment of blessing was he trusted God to the very end. In the midst of building this ark, again, it hadn't rained up to that point. In the midst of building the ark and hearing the ridicule, hearing the condemning voice of the neighbors and those around, going upstream and living a life that is blameless, In the midst of all of this, he trusted God 
God, I really don't understand, but I'm going to continue to build this ark. God, I'm not really sure how we're going to fit all of these animals in here, but God, I'm going to continue to build this ark. God, my wife really wants me to leave anything that slithers on the ground out of the boat, but I'm going to trust you on this one. Right? Some of you ladies were like, oh, just leave the lizards back. Who needs rats anyway? Right? But he was willing to trust God. God, why in the world am I bringing tarantulas? No one needs hairy spiders. Right? He was willing to trust God to the very end. And the fourth thing that I see that brought Noah to this point of the blessing was he showed gratitude. The moment he exited the boat, the Bible says he laid an altar before the Lord. Lord, I give you praise. Lord, I give you glory. Lord, that you spared my family. God, that you set a a, a pathway in front of me. God, that you laid out this promise. This rainbow in the sky that you promised that you will never destroy the earth in this this mode again. God, I give you praise. Lord, I'm willing to give you glory and gratitude and honor in every situation. See, what what I see occurring in the life of Noah is a life that is dependent completely, holistically upon God no matter what. So what is the blessing? Then God blessed Noah and his sons, and he gave them instructions. So so what is the blessing? If we understand what brought them to that place of the blessing, what is the blessing? Well, according to dictionary.com, a blessing is defined as this. A special favor, mercy, or benefit. Come on, look at that. His mercies are new for you every morning. A brand new blessing is set in motion for you and 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 and all across this room. A special blessing, a new fountain of mercy every day. Goes on to say the invoking of God's favor. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I receive your favor today. Lord, I receive your blessing, God. Invoke your favor upon us. I believe that this is what God has intended for each and every single one of us tonight. The problem is this. We fail to really understand the heart and the purpose behind the blessing. We see the idea of the blessing as this. How much do I have? Oh, I'm so blessed. How much do you have? I'm blessed when I have more than you. Right? Isn't that our our mindset? But now remember, Noah and his family, at this point, they climb off of the boat. There is nothing. No house, no shelter, no community, no neighbors. How would you like your neighbors to be the lions, the tigers, and the bears? Oh my. They had nothing but sloppy ground. 
They had nothing but each other. A survey was done in the year 1900, and it revealed that people felt that they needed 75 things in order to function normally and be content. If I just had 75 things, if I had 75 possessions, then I will be content. 50 years later, in 1950, that same, a similar survey was done. And this, the outcome was this. People said, we need nearly 500 things in order to be content. I would love to see that survey done in 2018. If I just have the internet, I'll be content. If I just have that there Facebook, my face or whatever, just kidding. I know what it's called. But the Bible lists out there's only two things that we need in order to be content. Did you know that? Two things. Look at your neighbor and say, you only need two things. Look at this. But if we have food and clothing, how many of you ate lunch today? Anybody not eat lunch? Okay, how many of you are clothed right now? <laughs> Andy, let me know if there's any hands not raised. Ushers, look for any hands not raised and please help them. All you need is food and clothing. With these, we will be content. I guess the next question that it begs to be asked is this. Are you content? To properly answer that question, we must accurately define the word content. A lot of definitions tonight. The word content is defined as satisfied with what one is or has. Well, if I was just a little bit more like them, let me just, can I just be real with you for a moment? Last week I was at a district meeting with hundreds of other pastors. And some of us were having this conversation. And, and I know that if, if pastors are having this mindset, then, then all of us really are. We begin to talk about how easy it is for us to compare ourselves to one another. Well, if my church was just running what his church is running, or if I could just preach as good as he could preach, if I could just sing like Shirley, or Pastor Andy. If I could just do this, or if I could just do that. I had a, a pastor friend walk up to me the other day, and, and okay, let me be a little more transparent. Let me back up. I oftentimes go to these conferences, and I go to these meetings, and, and I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to this speaker, and I'm like, man, how does he do that? How does he share the way he's sharing? I just can't wrap myself around that. And I begin to compare myself in that moment. But it was just a few months ago, I was having a conversation with one of my friends, and he looked at me and he said this, well, I'm just not a good speaker like you are. And I thought, wow, there's perspective. Because we all do this. We all do this. In your life, maybe you say, well, I'm just not as good of a mom as, as they are. I'm not as good of a, a husband 
as they are. Well, I'm not as good as them because my job is this, or I, I live on this side of town, or I live on, on that. I'm not as good as they are because of my family background. I, I, I'm just not really qualified because of, of my age. I, I'm not really good enough because of... We compare ourselves. But the word content says satisfied with one of who I am. Satisfied with with what I am as a person. I want you to know that who you are, God created. The moment you begin to tear yourself apart, the the moment you begin to destroy yourself, you are really destroying what God created. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are crafted specially. There's not another one like you. Lord, I understand that there's some rough edges I've got to clean up, but God, I want to thank you for who you made me to be. Now, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying be satisfied with where you are because I believe that every one of us in this room, listen carefully, every, every one of us in this room still need to step closer to God. Because the moment we say, I've arrived with God, is the moment we're going to begin to fall backwards away from him. A pastor friend of mine once told me this early in ministry. He said, you are either moving closer to God or moving further away. You are never standing still in your walk with God. So how do I get content? I'm content with who I am, but I have a desire to move forward. I'm content with who God created but I want to do the best I can to improve upon what I'm presenting back to him. Satisfied with what one is or what one has, not wanting more or anything else. Can I be honest with you tonight? I'm content with what I have. I'm content with the blessing that God has placed upon my life, but I want to move closer to him. Sometimes we struggle to see the blessing because, we re, uh, because of the remains of the flood and the devastation. We see the, the chaos all around. But remember, God is with you through it all. Here is what I've discovered. God does not always protect us from the trouble, but he always cares for us in spite of the trouble. God does not always protect us from the trouble. Job went through all sorts of craziness. Lost his farms, lost his children, lost his livestock, boils all over his body. His wife telling him, curse God and die. His friends are saying, what sins do you have in your life that are messing your life up? God could have said, no, 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 no. You're not going to do this to Job. But I want you to understand that at the end of Job's life, God blessed him twice as much. God does not always protect us from the trouble, but he always, look at your neighbor say, he always. He always cares for us in spite of the trouble. What is it that is blinding you from the blessing of God? What is the the mud, the muddy hillside? What are the remains of yesterday's torrential rain 
What is it that's blinding you from the blessing that God has for your life? What is it that's clouding your view? I want you to understand tonight, there's a rainbow, there's a promise for you. It's time to open our eyes. It's time to allow his blessing to invade our lives. God said to Noah and his sons, he blessed them and gave them instructions. Look at our second observation. Never, 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 never forget the promise. Well, why did, why did you say that so many times, Pastor? It's only one time on our outline. It's only one time on the screen. Because sometimes we need to hear it more than once for it to sink in. Never forget the promise. Did you know that God has a promise for you, for Noah and his family, there was a rainbow in the sky to indicate that what, he, what just occurred would never happen again. Here's something I discovered this week. I found this very interesting and it took me a while to wrap myself around it. But I'm told that God gives each of us our very own rainbow. When a rainbow was outside, and I wish that it had rained, not really, but rain today so there's a rainbow in the sky and we could all take a field trip and look at this rainbow because I'm told that every time we look at a rainbow every one of us are seeing slightly different kind of rainbow see a rainbow is formed by raindrops that act as little prisms little droplets of water that become little prisms separating sunlight into its individual color components. So if you stand looking at a rainbow and someone is standing right next to you, each of you is actually looking at a different rainbow generated by a different set of raindrops. Now see, you disappoint me. Because I'm sitting in my office and I'm doing this research just a couple of weeks ago and I'm I'm processing through and I got to that and I went, God would do that for me? God God would set a promise in the sky that's different than your promise. He would have one with only my name on it. Now, you could come over and I could say, no, 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 look at my rainbow. And you could come over here, but you'll never really get to that same place where you can see my promise. You've always got your own promise. So not only does God set a promise in the sky, but he puts a different promise. Hope, restoration, change, joy, a future. What is your rainbow? What is it that you need to see from God? I'm told of a story. It's told by Professor Milglior, and I don't know if I pronounced his name right, but I've been told to say it loud and proud and move forward. So, Professor Miglior, who worked in the inner city with the inner city kids in Trenton, New Jersey. One day after telling the story of Noah to some of the children, he asked them, Now, children, where would I see a rainbow? Now, we would venture to say, well, the kids are going to say, up in the sky after the rain, Right? But the kids in that class, in that moment, that day, they responded. Several of them replied, in the streets. What? 
The professor thought they had misunderstood his question, but eventually he discovered the truth. You see, they were confined to the asphalt jungles and the high-rise buildings. The only place these kids had ever seen a rainbow was in the puddles on the streets. The streets had become slick from oil that had dripped from cars and fallen into the water, and they had seen rainbows in the streets. While this may seem like a very sad story, truly it is a story of hope. It's a story of grace as well. For these children, God's sign of mercy, God's sign of of hope, was right in the middle of their otherwise hopeless world. I want you to think about this just for a moment. In the midst of possibly, potentially, your hopeless world, God has a rainbow for you. Maybe it's in the greasy puddles of everyday life. That's where God's mercy, that's where God's promise can be found, right in the middle of our circumstance. You see, before you can ever see the rainbow, you've got to let your eyes get set upon God. If we were to look outside and I would just say, hey guys, let's go look at the rainbow, it's field trip time, let's go look at the rainbow, but you walked out and you did this, I don't see the rainbow. And everybody is looking up there, but you're looking down. What's the problem? You haven't set your eyes on the promise. You've allowed your eyes to be diverted away from the promise. I wonder how many blessings we have missed because we fail to look up. I wonder how many blessings in your life, in your 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years of life that you've missed because you failed to look up. 2 Corinthians says this, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled, hallelujah, have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes! Not a timid Well, maybe. Not a, well, we'll see what happens. I'm real careful with my kids. Because many, many times growing up, as they've been growing up rather, they've made this statement to me, well, daddy, I, I, I promise they don't really call me daddy anymore. They just call me dad. That would just be weird if my 18 year old son said, hey, daddy. But, but I can't tell you how many times that, and by the way, don't tweet that. That's not a tweetable moment. Don't, don't do it. Don't do, don't do it. This is all of his gear up here. I can mess you up in an instant. But I can't tell you how many times my kids growing up said, Daddy, a promise is a promise. So I've been real careful when they ask me, hey, can we go do fill in the blank, whatever it happens to be, my response is typically this, we'll see what happens. Because I know that if I say, yeah, we can do that, and then that day comes around and we're not able to do that, they're going to go, a promise is a promise. And I'm trapped. But the cool thing about God, he doesn't have any moments in the Bible, well, he says this, well, we'll see what happens. Ask what you will in my name and it shall be done. 
Call upon the name of the Lord. There he is. Where two or more of you gather together, he's in your presence. Confess your sins to him. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. It is finished. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing over and over and over and over. He lays this before us. All of God's promises have been fulfilled with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes ascends to God for his glory. Will you allow God to fulfill his blessing and his promise in your life tonight? Very quickly, I want to process through a few things. Six things. Because of God's faithfulness, there are six things that we can count on. Six things that you can go to the bank on. Six things that you can wrap yourself around. Number one, God will keep his promises. Amen. God will keep his promises. Oh, see, there you go. You got this. You guys are professionals now. Hebrews chapter 10 tells me this. Let us hold softly, tenderly, right? No, 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 no. Let's hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promises. Hold on to that no matter how heavy the storms may come. No matter how high the floodwaters may be. No matter how much water comes out of the ground. No matter how much the boat wavers to the left and to the right. Hold tightly without wavering to the promises. To the hope because God can be trusted. Number two, God can be trusted to finish what He starts. Some of us husbands have been blamed over the years, falsely accused over the years of starting things and not finishing them. It's not that we haven't finished, we're processing, ladies. I know it's been a year and a half, but we're processing. God can be trusted to finish what he starts. Oh, I love this scripture, one of my favorites. And I am certain that God, who began a good work within you, I am certain that God, who began a good work within I am positive that this God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God can be trusted to finish what he started. Here's what you need to remember. Tonight and every day, God doesn't give up on you. So don't give up on him or yourself. Let me say that again. You guys are making me work too hard tonight. God didn't give up on you. So don't give up on him or yourself. Number three. God promises to strengthen and protect us every day. But the Lord is faithful and will give you strength and will protect you from the evil one. 
in those moments you don't know where to turn, in the moments when it feels like everything is up against you, in the moments when it feels like all the opposition is hitting you on all sides, God is faithful. He will give you the strength you need. He is our refuge. He is our strong tower. He is our fortress. He is our shelter. He is all that we need, no matter what we face, no matter what we come up against. God is always faithful to be our strength and to protect us from the evil one. I want you to understand, some of you are are facing conflict in your life, and you think, well, my struggle is against this person. My struggle is against that person. My struggle is against my family member. My struggle is against my neighbor. But I want you to know the Bible says in Ephesians that we struggle not, I fight not against flesh and blood. Your struggle is not, listen carefully, is not with that person. Oh, pastor, you don't know them. That may be true, but I know what the Word of God says. Well, our fight is not against flesh and blood. We've got an enemy out there. And he will do everything he can to get you off course. He'll get every, do everything he can to get you off track. He will use people. He will use situations. He will use circumstances. But I want you to know that God is faithful to protect you. I've got to move on. I've got like three pages left, and I am four minutes over. Thank you. It's all the confirmation I need, folks. We're moving on. Number four. See, that's why you're my favorite. Okay, no, she's still my favorite. No, I'm just kidding, William. You're my, no. You're all my favorite. Everybody gets a favorite. All right. Number four. God can be counted on to help you overcome temptation. I heard somebody say this once, and I've said it jokingly hundreds of times since then because it's very funny. I can overcome all things in life but temptation. How often we say that. I I can conquer anything in life, but when temptation comes my way, I just don't know what to do. Well, 1 Corinthians tells us this, the temptation in your life are no different from what others experience. In other words, you're not alone. And God is faithful. Oh, there's the answer we need. What you're facing in life, what you're going through, it may look different, it may appear different, but it's still the same lying, cheating, stealing, killing, devil, enemy behind it. But God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so you can endure. Now here's the kicker. He will show us the way, but he won't force us to go. Oh, pastor, every time I got that, that, that temptation in my life, I just can't get around it. I, I just can't get bypass it. I just can't get away from it. When temptation comes in your life, God will give you a way out. There's an old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Some of us are that horse being led to water. We sit there and go, well, that's nice stuff, but I want this more. God can be counted on to help you. 
The question is, will you follow? Will you go where he's telling you to go? Will you go where he's leading you to go? Number five, God is faithful to forgive us. Oh, that's good news. How many of you need forgiveness? Regularly. Yes. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful. If we confess our sins to him, he is just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all wickedness. Some translations said all unrighteousness. God is faithful to forgive. And the great thing about his forgiveness, he doesn't just take the whiteboard and, and kind of wipe it off. How do you know when you take a whiteboard and wipe it off, you still have a residue? That you remember chalkboards. I, I, I can speak to you all. You all remember chalkboards. Couple of couple in the room have no idea what a chalk. What is a chalkboard? You remember taking the chalk erasers outside and pat them against the building. One or two ways you got to do that. Number one, you were behaving and doing great, or number two, you were terrible and needed to be, be punished. Either way, it was awesome. I won't tell you why I got to do it. But you, you, you write on the chalkboard, and oftentimes, you would still have chalk residue around. Some people think, well, that's how it is when God forgives me, because that sin is there. No, 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 I want you to understand, he cast your sin as far as the east is to, from the west to be remembered no more. He's faithful to forgive you of all. Not leaving any in the back pocket. Well, do you remember in 1974 when you took that lollipop? And he's like, I wasn't even born in 1974. You caused me to do it. No. Number six, God is there to support me through suffering. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strength, uh, strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know that we know that we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Sometimes suffering is the will of God. That's hard to chew on. Some people today say, well, if you've got illness, if you've got sickness, then you're out of the will of God. If there's anything going on, you don't have enough faith. But First Peter tells me this, so those who suffer as God wants should trust their souls to the faithful creator as they continue to do what is right. Some of you need to turn to your Bibles and circle that scripture. Some of you need to highlight that scripture because you're going through all sorts of chaos right now. I want to encourage you, continue to do what is right. Continue to do what is right. God can use suffering in your life. We don't like when he does, but it builds character, as Romans 5 told us. I think that's when we learn the most about God's faithfulness, when we're going through difficult times, when we're going through difficult situations. That's when we learn faithfulness with God. So what should be my response to God's faithfulness to me? It should be a motivating force to me to be faithful to Him. Let me say this again. What should be my response to God's faithfulness? It should be a motivating force 
to me to be faithful to him. Finally, observation number three. We may fail, but God is always faithful. Noah caught the attention of God. Noah was blameless, the only blameless, righteous person. But Genesis 6-9 says this, Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. So here we have Noah, the only blameless one, the only righteous one on earth, the one that caught the very eye of God, the only one including his family, that was worthy to be saved through the flood. Suddenly, we see a failing moment occur in Noah's life. What happened? It says, after the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground, and he planted a vineyard. One day, he drank some wine he had made. He became drunk and lay naked inside his tent. This is the first time that the Bible mentions wine and it's associated with drunkenness with sin with shame and followed by a curse the notes in one of my bibles said it this way throughout the bible drunkenness caused disaster and poor judgment the sin of drunkenness destroys the individual and affects all his relationships here here we see drunkenness as the sin or the failure in question But can I take it a step further? I believe that we can place a myriad of sins in the same failure category. You see, sin is sin no matter how you dress it up, or in Noah's case, no matter how you take it off. Think where Noah was and what he was doing. Sin still has a way of leading to bigger issues. Noah probably thought to himself, well, I'm all alone. I'm in the tent by myself. I'm not going to hurt anybody. It's just me. All is good. But how many of you know that sin has a way of engulfing your entire situation? It quickly becomes bigger than you originally planned or even anticipated it being. Each time in the Bible that we see sin begin to rise, there's a consequence. Adam and Eve banished from the garden. Death into the world. Cain banished from his home, separated from God. Society turned from God, embraced evil. The Bible says that every thought they had was consistently and totally evil. This led to total annihilation of humanity and anything that breathed. <coughs> now Noah allows sin to enter his life. It is followed by disrespect from his youngest son, Ham. See, Ham entered his father's tent without an invitation. Once there, he found his father lying there naked. He should have simply covered him and remained silent, but he went out and shared the news with his two brothers, Shem and Jebeth. Let's go back to that moment. When we are faced with temptation, And the choice of what to do, we simply find ourselves at a crossroad to sin or not to sin. To sin or or not to sin. What do I need to do? You see, Noah's other two sons chose to honor their father 
They backed into the room. They, they covered him without looking upon him. This was done to honor their father, to show respect to him. Sin is a serious issue that it's many times swept under the rug. Let me say that again. Sin is a serious issue that is many times, that is oftentimes simply swept under the rug, justified in our actions. But Galatians chapter 5 says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. I want you to listen carefully tonight. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Isn't it interesting that the things that we place as minor categories, minor sins, maybe you saw some hostility. Oh, that's just how my family is, Pastor. Quarreling. Selfish ambitions, oh, that's just my determination, Pastor. They're placed in the same category as the biggies. Let me say it again. Sin is sin, no matter how you dress it up. Isaiah chapter 40, as I'm real close to wrapping up, says the Lord is the everlasting God the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak. He gives strength to the powerless. Even youth will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will not walk. They will walk and not faint. A couple nights ago, I was working in my side yard, actually mowing the grass. I was mowing my grass, and I kept seeing something flutter over in the side yard. I thought, what's going on over there? I didn't know what was caught in the tree, so I took the mower over and I shut the mower down and I walked over and there was a bird and somehow I got in a string wrapped around its leg and that string had somehow gotten wrapped around a branch and that bird was caught it was stuck and I think tonight how many of us get caught up in the little strings oh it's not a big thing just a little piece of kite string yay long can't hurt anybody. It's going to be all right. But for that bird, it got him caught. Flapping, trying to get loose. And the more that he flapped, the tighter it tied around his leg. I was able to take my leather gloves and, and hold on to that bird. And at first he struggled. He wanted to get loose. But then he realized, this dude is here to help. And it was the weirdest moment. He just sat there in my hand looking at me. What seemed like an eternity, I'm working to get that, that string loose and get him free. I got him loose from the branch. 
string still attached and, and I'm trying to figure out how to get the string off his leg and suddenly in his mind, I'm free, everything is okay now and he takes off. The bird's free. My daughter was proud of me. You know my concern? It's still caught up in the string. tonight and you're still caught up in the string. You see, God wants to give you that blessing. God wants to give you your own rainbow. But you're in that moment and, and you're loose from the branch and you think everything is great. I'm free. This is my time. I'm going to fly. I'm going to soar. But it's not long until you get back in the brush and that string once again wraps around another branch I would venture to say the next time I'm not going to be there it may be that punk kid that lives like three houses down the other streets that likes his BB gun I'm just saying by the way if my neighbors that live three houses down the street are listening it's not your punk kid it's the other one Let's wrap this thing up. See what happens when I don't preach in the morning, when I just have one service? I have all this energy bottled up. You're here tonight, and God's got a promise for you. God's got a blessing for you. But you're toying with that string around your ankle. I would encourage you tonight... Bible says, rid yourself of anything that slows you down. Especially that sin that so easily consumes you. For the bird, it's that little tiny string. He trusted me long enough to get him off the branch, but not long enough to remove the issue. See, if he would have let me remove that string, he'd be golden. But in his little birdie mind, I'm free. I ask you tonight, are you ready to receive the blessing? satisfied with the string.